is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek. Our guest today is Dr. Shannon D. Williams. She's the author of Subversive Habits, Black Catholic Nuns in the Long African-American Freedom Struggle. Shannon, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So I know this was a a real labor of love for you. You you spent many years of research and writing. What was the inspiration for this book? Uh, It's a wonderful question. Thank you so much for asking. I came to Subversive Habits out of my own desire to understand an article that I stumbled upon while I was in graduate school back in 2007. I was going through old microfilmed editions of Black-owned newspapers and stumbled upon a newspaper article announcing the formation of what was a Black Power Federation of Catholic nuns called the National Black Sisters Conference. And I experienced what I can only call a metanoia. Although I'm a lifelong Catholic, I've never seen Black nuns. Um, In fact, I did not know that Black nuns existed in, in, in the church. Um, In fact, um, just to be very honest, the only black sister that I knew existed at that time was Sister Mary Clarence, who was the fictional character played by Whoopi Goldberg in the Sister Act franchise. Right. So I I wanted to understand why that was. Um, And um, from that point, I set out to learn as much as I could about the National Black Sisters Conference, uh, the history of black Catholic sisters in the United States, and to understand their invisibility in my life and that of my mother. Um, as I said, I'm a Catholic. Um, I'm, in fact, uh, the daughter of the first black woman to graduate from the University of Notre Dame. Uh, my mother was educated in the black Catholic schools of Savannah, Georgia. And, in fact, when I learned that there had actually been two black sisters founded in Savannah, Georgia, I went back to my mom and she said, well, you know, uh, you know, I didn't know that. And, you know, I wish I would have I known. It was something that my mother and I didn't know. And we wanted to understand why that was. And so that's really the inspiration of, uh, for, that was the inspiration for Subversive Habits, wanting to know more about a history that I, as a black Catholic woman, should have known um, about my own history in the church. Why do you think that history has been so neglected for so long? Why, why don't people know about black Catholic nuns? You know, it's an uneasy memory. Um, Black sisters have been in the United States for over or nearly 200 years. In fact, I was sort of thinking about it uh, today. You know, 2022 is the 30th anniversary of Sister Act. Um, But to to get into the real story, right, the story of America's real Sister Act forces us to confront some uneasy truths about our church, uh, one of which is sort of having to sort of deal with the realities of slavery. Um, It is a remarkable story in the fact that the nation's and indeed the modern world's first Roman Catholic sisterhoods freely open to black women and girls were founded in the United States, Um, but they were specifically founded in the slave South, uh, first with the Oblate Sisters of Providence in 1829 and then the Sisters of the Holy Family in New Orleans in 1842. There was also an attempt to make, um, to found a community, an auxiliary community to the Sisters of Loretto uh, in Kentucky in 1824. 
So it's impossible to tell black sister stories without confronting the church's largely unacknowledged and unreconciled histories of colonialism, slavery, and segregation. And so I do believe that that's one of the main reasons why um, we have not necessarily focused on black sisters' history in the ways in which we can, because it forces us to reconsider, rethink, but also rewrite some of the narratives that we've, we've told about ourselves as Catholics and our relationship to these, these systems of power. How did you go about your research? You know, um, I relied upon a host of resources, previously sealed archival records, out-of-date books, periodicals, and over 100 oral history testimonies. In fact, over 150 oral history testimonies with current and former sisters, as well as priests um, and members of the laity or anyone whose lives and labors had intersected with Black sisters' history in any way. Um, I initially started out doing oral history interviews just because I was in graduate school. I couldn't get to the archive until the summer. And I just started writing and calling mother houses, calling the mother houses and other Catholic institutions associated with the women's names that I had found from the records of the National Black Sisters Conference that were available to, available to me online or through interlibrary loan. And then I started going to the archives of the nation's historically black and white sisterhoods to be able to reconstruct the history of the women who went into religious life and specifically also to reconstruct the history of racial segregation and exclusion in women's religious life. There are challenges, obviously, especially for black women who go into communities, white communities, and do not remain. If they did not persevere in religious life, meaning if they did not remain until death, oftentimes their records are closed to researchers. You have to get special permission. Oftentimes also the general council minutes of particular communities may be off limits depending on the date, depending on the community. And so oral history became especially important to me um, and being able to reconstruct the lives of women who went into religious life and death to be able to identify them. But even newspapers, um, especially for those, those women who went into white congregations and then left, the black Catholic press and the black African-American press in general did a really good job of reporting on when a white community desegregated, um, when they accepted their first black member. Oftentimes there would be a write-up about the young woman, where she was from, her secular name, her name in religious life. And so in instances in which we could not find certain women or get access to those records, sometimes I could find them through um, the work of black journalists um, who were really great at documenting that history. Also, the obituaries of black sisters um, also oftentimes document their experiences of racism and exclusion. Those who are the descendants of enslaved people who helped to build the church oftentimes make a point um, to write that, have it written out in their, in their obituaries, or black women who experienced racism while in religious life would oftentimes have that written in their obituaries. So those also proved invaluable to me. What was it like to speak with some of these sisters who, who experienced racism and, and what, what inspired you, what shocked you, what, what moved you in, in their stories? All of those things, right? Um, you know, what was interesting, I was probably on my way out of my church, the church of my birth, the Catholic church, until I came to this project. And so I really do believe that coming to this history, encountering these women and having these conversations with these women was really an intervention of God in my life. Um, it was providential. Um, the first, one of the earliest sisters that I interviewed was Sister Mary Antona Ebo, whose story is featured prominently, prominently in the book, um, who was also one of the big champions, um, one of our great champions of racial equality and racial justice within the church. She is a member of the first delegation of sisters to march in Selma in 1965. 
Um, but before that, she had desegregated her community. And as I should say again, when I began interviewing these women, I didn't know much black Catholic history. I certainly didn't know a lot of black Catholic women's history. I was not aware of the history of racial segregation and exclusion in, in women's religious life. And so someone like a sister Mary Antonia Ebo telling me her story of not only desegregating her community, but also being subjected to racial segregation within her community. Um, the first five black members of her community, the Sisters of St. Mary, who are now known as the Franciscan Sisters of Mary, were admitted only on a segregated basis. Um, the community built a separate novitiate. They enforced segregation in socializing and dining. And she is among a select number of black members of white congregations who were forced to profess their vows in a segregated ceremony. Um, they could not even go into their mother house um, at the very beginning in the first few years of their membership in the community and then had to go in through the back doors. And that was profoundly shocking for me. It just was not something that was a part of my consciousness of what it meant to be uh, an American Catholic. It had not been incorporated into any of the dominant American Catholic um, narratives that I had encountered um, as a graduate student. Um, so that really stuck out to me. And so experiences of gut-wrenching, oftentimes gut-wrenching experiences of discrimination in communities is something that I wasn't prepared for. I wasn't prepared for black sisters to tell me about their experiences of misogyny and their encounters with black priests. Um, but perhaps most importantly, um, and this is a good thing, I was very shocked by just the beautiful recountings of black, of black Catholicism, the stories of grandparents and uh, mothers and fathers who served as these spiritual role models for these young women um, who felt called to religious life stories of grandparents um, who would, at New Year's, put all of the grandchildren in a circle and say a special prayer over each of the grandchildren, that that story of the richness of the beauty of the Black Catholic experience, that these women's stories preserved was really important for me. Um, and so it's why I'll continue to sort of uh, write on Black Catholic women's history for the rest of my time, just because there's so many amazing stories there, stories of women who participated in the Great Migration um, explaining why black Catholics left places like Louisiana, Texas, and so on, um, are also contained in these beautiful stories. So for me, it was important because their stories, these women in their own special ways, were preaching a word over my life and reminding me that I had a place in the church who were reminding me sort of what it meant to be Catholic, um, to help me understand that um, racism and sexism had no place within the Catholic Church. And so for me, it was ultimately um, helpful in helping me to discern my future within the church and remain in the church of my birth. Did you try to speak with some of the white sisters who practice racism against black nuns? I'm just wondering if their views have changed. Have they come to see their actions as sinful and have they sought forgiveness? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when I say that I interviewed over 150 sisters and former sisters, many of them are white sisters. In fact, I would not have found out a lot of pioneering black sisters' names and experiences without um, the intervention of white sisters, current and former white sisters. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, there is one white sister that I met years ago in Philadelphia after I gave a talk, and she pulled me aside and she wanted to tell me the names of four women, three of, the, three of whom were women who had desegregated her community. But she also told me the story of her high school friend, an African-American woman, um, who applied to it, go into her community in, in Los Angeles the same year she did. She was like, you know, she was better than all of us. And she was rejected on the basis of race, noting that the woman was then um, and still 
an associate member of that community, went on to become the first African-American to receive a four-year bachelor's degree in nursing in California, who has received the highest um, lay awards for women, um, and yet the community had not apologized. And what was striking for me was that she, you know, she said, I don't know why we haven't apologized. Um, but she held on to that story um, and gave me those names. I have multiple examples of that, perhaps most notably in the case of the Sisters of St. Joseph of Baden and um, their ongoing reconciliation with Dr. Patricia Gray, who was formerly Sister M. Martin DePores Gray, who was the chief architect of the National Black Sisters Conference. In 2016, I did a talk in London, and I spoke about the founding of the National Black Sisters Conference and mentioned that their founders, the chief architect, Gray, had been first rejected admission into the Sisters of St. Joseph of Baden. And what was interesting at that time in that meeting, in that room, a member of that community was there, and she approached me afterwards and was horrified to learn that her community had 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 these policies, and she noted that, you know, Gray would have entered into the community the same year that she would have been. And so she went back to her leader, who was also at the time the, the head of the Leadership Conference of Women Religious, and they went through a formal reconciliation process with Dr. Gray. And that moment, um, which is covered in my book, and, and I conclude my book with it, was the first time that I really understood the power and the importance and the moral necessity of telling black sister stories, um, the importance of black sister's historical truth telling, because it could lead to those kinds of formal apologies, that formal acknowledgement. Um, that is the first and necessary step that we can have towards racial justice, reparation, and healing. And so, um, you know, I give great um, um, acknowledgement to the Leadership Conference of Women Religious and so many white orders and white congregations of sisters who opened their archives to me, um, who let me speak with their sisters, those who just sort of put it me, pointed me in the right direction. Um, Subversive Habits would not be what it is without their contributions as well. Well, our guest today is Dr. Shannon D. Williams, Associate Professor of History and the author of Subversive Habits, Black Catholic Nuns in the Long African-American Freedom Struggle. We're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the Oblate Sisters of Providence, founded right here in Baltimore as the world's first religious community for black women. I'm George Matisek. You're listening to Catholic Review Radio. We'll be back in a moment. Every child enters the world with limitless potential. Potential of mind, potential of body, potential of spirit. If there was only a place where that potential could be nurtured and challenged every day, where the limits of greatness, once unseen, could now be within reach. Catholic schools rise above. With inviting surroundings, complete independence, and an unmatched quality of life, Mercy Ridge is the unparalleled choice for your retirement lifestyle. It's a way of living that promotes an active, healthier life. Located in Timonium, Maryland, Mercy Ridge Continuing Care Retirement Community features a beautifully landscaped 32-acre campus. The grounds, dining, and recreational amenities and residences are designed to provide a gracious lifestyle and a variety of exciting activities. Visit MercyRidge.com. The Archdiocese of Baltimore makes the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. 
The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org accountability. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek. Our guest today is Dr. Shannon D. Williams, Associate Professor of History at the University of Dayton and the author of a new book called Subversive Habits, Black Catholic Nuns in the Long African-American Freedom Struggle. Shannon, as we touched on in the last segment, the Oblate Sisters of Providence were founded as the first women's community for Black Catholics. Uh, right here, it was founded right here in Baltimore in 1829 by Mother Mary Lang and also uh, Sulpician Father James Hector Gilbert. Could you tell us about how that religious order got started and the significance it, it plays in Black Catholic history? Absolutely. The Oblate Sisters of Providence are not the nation, not only the nation's first uh, successful Roman Catholic sisterhood for black women, but the modern world's uh, first successful Roman Catholic sisterhood, freely open to African-descended women and girls. Um, They come about um, specifically um, as a result of the Haitian Revolution and large numbers of uh, free and enslaved Haitian refugees, or those who would be known as Haitian refugees, Haiti was not yet formed yet, um, it was then known as Saint-Domingue, but who begin to come into the United States as a result of the slave rebellion turned revolution that takes place on that Caribbean island um, beginning in the late 18th century. And so as America's port cities begin to be flooded with both free and enslaved refugees um, from the rebellion, Um, there is a humanitarian crisis um, of people who need to be ministered to. Most of them are Catholic. And yet they also experience uh, the realities of American racism, um, specifically sort of the divide within the Catholic Church, even though it existed obviously within um, Caribbean communities as well. um, The starkness, I would say, of the U.S. experience um, created a crisis, particularly for black Catholic refugees. Um, There were a group of women who began ministering to the city's largely neglected uh, uh, free and enslaved black Catholic population who also felt called to religious life. Um, So with most of the, with all of the nation's historically black sisterhoods and those that have been founded in uh, the Atlantic world prior to the end of slavery, um, but even and still if we sort of go into uh, the story of Africa, um, most white American and European sisterhoods had formal and informal anti-black admissions policies. So the Oblate Sisters of Providence come about as a result of women who felt called to religious life but who were barred admission into the orders that were ministering in the Diocese of Baltimore prior to their existence. So they are fortunate enough to be able to find a sponsor and a French priest who also understood the need to uh, minister to the city's uh, free and enslaved black Catholic population. And that is how the Oblate Sisters of Providence come about. Um, Also very significant um, in their story and their legacy is that they are among a very few number of, of communities of women religious who do not own slaves. Um, they are not a slave-holding community, and in fact, they are even sort of egalitarian for their time in the fact that they, before the Civil War, admit at least eight women who were born into slavery into their ranks, and at least one of those women was still enslaved and then was able to gain her freedom before she professes vows. Wow. And so what is significant is that they are the first U.S. sisterhood to reject the racist and sexist notion that a woman born into slavery lacked the virtue necessary to enter religious life. 
Also significant is that they are the essential counterpoint to those who look at their counterparts um, in the church, um, whether it is the Sisters of Charity, the Visitation Sisters, um, um, or the Carmelites, um, who try to suggest that, you know, those slaveholding communities were just simply slaveholding because they were people of their times. We have to remember that Mother Lang and the early Oblate Sisters of Providence are also women of those times, and they reject that notion. And so they're the essential counterparts to those who attempt to defend or excuse their, their slaveholding and segregationist counterparts as women of their time. Uh, as you know, Baltimore is also the home of the Josephites who minister to the black Catholic community all, all around the country. And the Josephites and the Oblates today are great allies. They, they work together in a lot of different ministries. But at the start of the founding of the Oblates, as you touch on in your book, that, that wasn't always the case, that even the Josephites who were founded to help the black Catholic community were not supportive of the Oblates or, or black sisters. Could, could you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, and that is where I'm building on the work of the great historian, uh, Diane Batsmaro, who was the first scholar to write the first scholarly monograph on the Oblate Sisters of Providence, looking at their uh, foundations until 1860. What we know is that the inaugural Josephites actually resented um, being um, given spiritual direction over the Oblate Sisters of Providence and worked very vigilantly to dismantle the Black Sisterhood, eventually trying to come up with a plan to sort of place them under the administration of white nuns. Um, it's a very painful story, and it reminds us that even white progressive um, Catholics within the church were not free from the sin of white supremacy and racism. And unfortunately, sort of that that sort of denigration and dismissal of the importance of black women's leadership continues in the story of the Josephites. We'll see sort of examples of Josephites attempting to undermine the leadership of black sisters into the 20th century. Um, so it's a very painful history, but it's something that I think um, is cr crucial to sort of the argument and the core arguments of my book. And, and that is that we cannot just simply look at white Catholics who ministered in African-American communities and just sort of suggest that that sort of equates or signifies a commitment to racial justice or racial equality. That's not, the, that's not true. Just as the Josephites struggle and many of the inaugural Josephites oppose the admission of black men um, into the priesthood and do everything in their power um, to support the church in sort of this sort of suppression of a the suppression of the building up of a substantial African American classic clergy. We also know um, that they also um, oppose black women's leadership, that of sort of the oblates, but also some lay women. And so, you know, one of the things that you'll encounter if you go into the archives are sort of notions and even statements by Josephites who not only say that black priests, black people did not want priests of their own race to minister to them, but they also say that black uh, people did not want black sisters of their own race to minister to them, which was an insidious lie, um, but something that was promoted to help cover their own opposition to the training of black men, but also their opposition to working on equal terms with black sisters. Um, and it's something that we have to, it's, a, it's an uneasy memory for us, but it's also one that um, is, is grounded in historical fact and, and one that we also have to grapple with and reckon with and understand the legacies of that reality as well. You note in your book that there were there were many black Catholic sisters who left the sisterhood, and one of those was an oblate sister who went on to have a great legacy in the secular world. Could you tell us about her? Yes. I mean, so many of the oblates, right? Remember that black sisters are among the most educated women in, in the nation. And so when women begin to leave for a host of reason, uh, reasons, they go on, they become sort of significant sort of high educational administrators, um, sort of break barriers in so many ways. 
And one of the most famous oblates to do so was Sister Mary Marcelina Brooks, who then became Dr. Marcelina Brooks, uh, Marcelina Marie Brooks, who becomes the first woman to head Bowie State College, which is now Bowie State University. And then she also becomes a vice president of student affairs at the University of, District, of the District of Columbia. But while her time in, uh, in religious life, she served as the principal of some of Washington, D.C.'s most notable uh, black Catholic schools, um, including St. Cyprian's. Um, she was well respected in the black community, and it was a devastating moment when she lost, uh, when she left religious life and was really forced out because of some, some encounters, unfortunately, um, and some bad encounters with uh, some, some white, Jesuit, uh, white Jesuit in particular. Um, what's also really important about her story um, is the ways in which the black lake community rallied around her, which I talk about in the book. And that's also true for the, um, uh, the early Oblation Sisters of Providence as well, perhaps most notably uh, Daniel Rudd, who was the founder of the Colored Catholic Congress movement, which is now known as the National Black Catholic Congress. Um, in the late 19th century, he makes it very plain, right, in a statement in his, in his um, newspaper, the American Catholic Tribune, um, he's asked, you know, what can white Catholics do to bring the Negro into the church? And he says, first, you know, pray. And then he says, then you need to support the ministries of black women, um, religious and lay. And he makes this very important claim, and he refutes that insidious, uh, you know, white Catholic refrain that black Catholics did not want sisters of their own race to minister to them. And so in the example that we see with Dr. Marcelina Brooks, when she's still in religious life, we see black uh, lay Catholics rallying again, which I think also speaks to the legacy of black sisters and their connections to the black lay community and specifically in, in, in their place in the vanguard of the fight for racial justice within church boundaries and beyond. Wow. We, we have about 10, just uh, 10 seconds left. Uh, how can people get your book? So you can get it anywhere on Amazon. You can order it from Duke University Press, but also um, do support your local bookstores. Um, if you just go online um, to sort of bookshop, you can find the local independent stores in your community where you can also purchase Subversive Habits. That's great. The, the title, again, is Subversive Habits, Black Catholic Nuns in the Long African-American Freedom Struggle. And our guest has been Dr. Shannon D. Williams, Associate Professor of History at the University of Dayton. Shannon, thanks again for being here. It's been a great conversation. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Blessings. For Catholic Review Radio, I'm George Matisek. Thanks for listening. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.